Welcome to the $7 Trillion Ideas to Save the World podcast. I'm your host, Nika Moini. I'm a master's in international affairs student in international economic policy with a focus on development financing at Carleton University. I'm also a community leader, advocate of youth entrepreneurship, and author of Careers in International Relations, Generation Z's Guide to Global Citizenship. You may have found this podcast through your interest in development finance, or just ideas to make the world a better place. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the $7 Trillion Ideas to Save the World podcast. Today, we have Mike Winterfield here with us, who is from Active Impact Investments, and he's going to tell us more about the work that they do and also his ideas on financing for development. So thank you for being here. Thanks, Nika, for having me on the webcast. Perfect. So let's get started with you telling us a little bit about your background and why it, why it is that you got involved with the work you do now. Sure. You know, I started off in sort of a, a corporate career, um, enterprise sales, B2B sales, um, very, uh, <laughs> very competitive, 100% commission, kind of a, an eat what you kill kind of environment. And um and to be honest, I was I was originally very attracted into that. It was sort of a pure capitalist type of view to to business and the market and to to trying to you know make some money and save some money and get ahead in life. Um, but at some point, it just it started to feel a little bit empty to me, and I found myself looking for more. And my first opportunity to to do more and give back was moving into into management and trying to kind of. Um, make it less about me and make it about the team. And uh, and then through various management and executive roles and kind of working my way up through the ranks, um, I ended up looking for even more. And the next thing that got introduced to me was kind of this concept of, of conscious capitalism and B Corps and triple bottom line. And and it was it was really compelling to me, this idea that there were businesses as B Corp and B Lab likes to say, uh, you know, using business as a force for good. And so after, um, after a certain period of time in my career, I, I specifically sought out uh, an opportunity to, to do that. And I joined a, a software services company and I was the sort of catalyst behind them becoming a B Corp. And so I got to work for three years in an organization that had really good governance around, you know, paying attention to all the stakeholders and then after that, I felt like I even wanted to go further on that trajectory. And so that was the, the idea behind the fund was, could, could we work with a portfolio of companies that had a very explicit uh, purpose around solving a, a particular social or environmental um, problem, but doing it through you know, a, a profitable and sustainable economic uh, uh, model? Right. And what's been the inspiration behind this fund? Like you kind of briefly mentioned it, but um, what is the ultimate goal of what you're trying to do? Yeah, I mean, I, look, the, the high level mission is basically to drive more, more capital and more talent towards social ventures. And with the belief being that, you know, the businesses that get, you know, the most money, the most funding, the best talent are the ones that, that ends up, end up succeeding. So it's, Really, we're trying to help more of the, of the good guys, or I should say good guys or good gals, uh, win. Um, and that was really just kind of born from 
a place that I came to on my own in, in sort of later stage in a career, developing some, you know, some skills and competencies and, and confidence and, you know, network and all these things and, and wanting more purpose. And I, I kind of wondered, are there more people like me that, that, that want this? And if I built something like this, would, you know, would other people be interested in, and they certainly have been. So it's it's been it's you know I can I can tell you later in the podcast, but um, you know the amount of traction in just the last twelve months has been has been really exciting and encouraging to show that there are a lot of other people who who are interested in in doing this. Right, and from what I understand, you are kind of supporting companies in Canada, correct, or Canada and the U.S. Yes, right now, primarily. So we have the most access to to Canadian companies. And we also see more of a challenge in terms of the funding gap for, for Canadian companies, uh, just if you're comparing Canada and the US. Uh, but the fund does have the ability to invest in US-based companies. And we do, we do see, um, you know, a growing number of applications uh, coming from, from the US. And do you think a model like this fund could work in somewhere like the developing world, like in the tech hubs in Africa, or do you think this is a model that is kind of strictly for these developed economies? No, I, I, I sure hope so. I mean, I've, I have heard of other funds that do something similar to what we do and they do it specifically for developing nations. And, you know, if, if, if I look at what our ambitions are with active impact, I would say, you know, we would love as we as we grow and scale to be able to serve other markets. So, um, so no, I, I, absolutely. I mean, right now, it's a resource constraint for us. It's not. It doesn't come out of you know interest or intentionality. Uh, it's just that our our first fund is so so small, and there's there's very few fees to go around, and we have very few kind of personnel and resources, and so we had to stay relatively local. But um, but but yeah, as as we have future funds. Um, that are larger than we'd like to designate them to, to solving very specific um, impact challenges as well as serving different geographies. Right. So walk us through kind of like the challenges that you face growing this fund and um, what has this journey been like, you know, and like how has it been growing? And there's a lot of momentum these days around this kind of work. So tell us more about that. Yeah, well, I, I think the finance industry in general is a, is a you know it's a pretty conservative industry, and um, you know nothing you know nothing makes people feel better than being able to look at past performance and track record. Um, but the reality is that the impact investing space is quite new, and you know the the, the term itself was really only coined about ten years ago, and and you know the level of money that has become available in this space or the level of interest has really, uh, has really ballooned over the first last couple of years. And so what that means is that there's more demand than there is supply. So it means that people like uh, ourselves with the fund, we're, we're trying to, you know, come out there with, you know, a new product, a new service that, that uh, is there to, to, do, uh, to do good things, but it also means that we're a new entrant into the market. And, you know, in general, Finance and commerce, you know, big institutions. They're 
you know, they're not, they're not a huge fan of, of new entrants. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's challenging to start something from scratch. I mean, I, I would also describe ourselves a lot of times to the companies that we serve. We, we serve start, impact startups. And I will often say to them, uh, hey, we're, we're an impact startup ourselves. So, you know, I get it. We, we had to start from, from nothing. You had to start from nothing. We had to, you know, we had to build our brand. We had to build, you know, determine what our mission was, determine what, who, who our customers would be, who our investors would be, who we would support. And um, so all that had to be really built from scratch over the course of the last 12 months. And so um, that's the hardest thing is, is to build something from scratch. And, you know, even though it ticks all of the boxes for a lot of people, you, you can't manufacture a track record. And so you have to find people that um, are willing to go a level deeper in terms of their, uh, their research and their due diligence and their questions they want to ask you and people who are willing to essentially analyze something based on its, its potential versus based on its, its experience. Um, cause you know, we, we don't have 10 years or 20 years of doing this specifically. We do have, you know, we do have 20 years of other skill set that we believe is very transferable and that's what we, that's what we have to be able to apply. Right. And you've chosen a model where you focus on, you know, startups and entrepreneurs, whereas a lot of impact investing nowadays is kind of on these larger, companies or at least medium to large size companies. So why did you choose that kind of model and what have been some of the benefits or challenges with that? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, that's not just uh, about impact investing. It's about investing in general is, is there's, there's a bit of a trend that a lot of the, the VC and private equity funds that we're doing, you know, the seed stage have moved up to series A. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think, there are a couple things that, that drive that. Um, one is, and you, you'll hear this from some of the funds that performed at the top level on seed is, is, you know, the next fund that they raise and instead of being a $10 million fund will be, let's say a $50 million fund. Um, regardless of whether you're a $10 million fund or a $50 million fund, a lot of times you will still invest in the same number of companies. So say you invest in 15 companies. Well, that means your check size is going to be five times bigger just because your fund got bigger. And so if your check size is five times bigger, then now that means you need to find later stage companies to invest in. So you're sort of forced into it just from, from you know, the math. Um, and I think a lot of the most successful seed stage investors also found that it was the same amount of work to do uh, those 15 investments, whether it was you know, seed stage or series A, but the payoff was a lot greater for the series A investments. And so, um, it leaves a gap where, yes, there are always seed stage investors, but, you know, are the highest performing ones, the top quartile funds, are they always sort of migrating upwards and out of the space? And, and so, you know, that, that, you know, you run the risk of, of leaving um, the, you know, the, the, the less competitive, the less competent um, folks in that, in that sector. Um, and it also creates need. So, we wanted to service where there was a need and we, we were hearing, that. you know, we, especially where we focus, which is in software services and software products um, and other services based businesses, 
there's a crowd of people that come in that are ready to write a check when somebody hits two million in, in ARR and in recurring revenue. Um, and prior to that, there's this there's this big void. And so we kind of had the feeling that what if we could come in and we could help a company that was at you know half a million or was at a million and we could we could double or we could quadruple their sales within a, a reasonable time period. Um, well, that means that we would we would put them in a very favorable position for the follow-on investment to get a Series A investment. And so that's that's where we decided to set our sights. Right. And why is it that you think that these, you know, before they hit that two million ARR, why is it that they're not getting funding? Like, what do you think is missing to um, allow them to get that funding? Um, look, a, a, a theory that we have, you know, apart from just, you know, some of the things I talked about before, which is, you know, um, let's say efficiency of, of effort and, and so on. Um, but another one that we have is that most fund managers come from a, a traditional uh, finance background, finance training, MBAs, and they haven't necessarily been uh, in, in the trenches in operations roles, you know, head of, head of sales, head of marketing, head of, head of you know, technology, head of uh, what have you, but, but you know, working within the businesses, even head of finance, but, but within, within businesses. And so, um, you know, there's, 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 there's a gap there at early stage businesses where their finances are not that complicated. I mean, you could work at their finances on a, on a, on a cocktail napkin because they're still small. We're talking about sort of businesses that have 10 employees, but their, op their operations are complicated. And so that's, that's what we wanted to bring with our, our, you know, our fund style was this combination of uh, people who were investing, but also people who had experience with senior operations, and that we could really play this this supporting role in helping with um, with capacity building. Help uh, after we've written a check, after we've made an investment, help our portfolio companies with um, with operational support. With you invest later stage, the the finance uh, aspect of it is complicated. You know, you you are looking for you know these uh, these hidden gems. You're looking for for uh, you know undervalued assets and, and making wise decisions. And that's what you know that's what later stage venture capital and private equity does more of than than we do. And that's what folks that are great at you know M and A work do more of than we do. Um, ours is really you know it's about sizing up early on. Is this a, you know is there good timing on this? Is it is this a great this a great team? Is this a good idea? Do they have the ability to execute on this and and helping to make that happen? Awesome. So we're getting close to the end. Um, one of our last questions is, what makes you excited about working in this field, and then what keeps you up at night? Yeah, I mean, look, it's exciting that we can have real positive change and impact. I mean, it's it's. Um, there are many, many demonstrated cases where people have voted with their wallet, either as a as a consumer or as an investor, and where that has driven money and where that has changed behavior, and and where you can actually tackle, you know, really big, meaty issues and topics. And so that's that's inspiring to us, and that's motivating to us, and that's that's a reason to get up out of bed and and work hard in the morning. Um, 
and and there are very positive financial outcomes that can come alongside of that and so that you know that that's that's the that's the bigger or or you know let's say it's the the um it's the, the cherry on the sunday if you will is is that this becomes a repeatable cycle because if you create positive income positive uh outcomes and you're also able to do that well people enjoy a good financial return um it's gonna it's gonna attract more people in so you just you 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 get more capital flowing into these spaces um what keeps us up at night i mean I, <laughs> lots of stuff <laughs> uh, i mean like I said, we're a startup, we're resource deprived. So, you know, you're always running around doing four jobs and, and every single one of those jobs deserves to be, you know, what one job that could be focused on full time. And, and so, you know, you, you, you have to pick your battles and, and figure out where to spend your time. Uh, we worry about all of our portfolio companies, of course, you know, we, we, we want to make sure that we're supporting them in the best way they can. And we want, we want to see higher survival rates and higher success rates. Um, and we worry about macroeconomics. I mean, we, we, you know, we worry about, you know, what happens if the economy falls apart and it becomes harder to get access to, to capital or, um, you know, if, if, try not to worry about things that are not within your control, but, you know, they, they could have, they could have negative, uh, they could have ne negative, uh, consequences for people that are doing some amazing work. Awesome. And our last question, which we ask everyone on the podcast, is what else do you think is needed to close the funding gap in terms of reaching the sustainable development goals? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I mean, look, I, I didn't I didn't really tell you much about our structure, but our structure is 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 a limited partnership. So it's it's basically a very small group of high net worth investors and, and institutions that are kind of putting their money together. And among that group, there's, there's a pool of people who also have talent that they bring to bear and, and they've offered up that talent and collectively with that money and that talent. So it's a, it's a, it's a financial pool and it's a talent pool. We're going to be finding 15 organizations to support. Um, the reality is, is that when we invest in those 15, we will help one out of every hundred that we became aware of. And for every one that we became aware of, there were probably a hundred more that need to help. And so, um, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, I guess the gap is in my mind is I wish that investing had you know, enough support, enough track record to have this repeatable formula that we're, we're in the process of building so that it, it became a binary decision. It became, you know, if a company can meet the following criteria, then we will invest in it versus, you know, kind of the traditional private equity venture capital formula, which is basically if we become aware of you, uh, then we will compare you to a hundred others and we will choose the top one of the hundred. And so, you know, I, I'd say aspirationally, we'd love to be able to, you know, have this figured out, continue to raise a lot of capital in the future and basically be able to get to a point where we can give the entrepreneurs the answer to the exam. 
and basically say, if you're willing to do these things, if your business is showing these forms of success, then you will get the funding from us. Because, you know, the, just the entire, you know, deployment of capital processes is extremely inefficient in, in the private markets. Perfect. So that's the end of our podcast. If people want to learn more about you, where can they find you? And uh, where can they find more information about Active Impact Labs? Uh, our website for one, so so activeimpactinvestments.com. And I would also say that we are quite informal, so we, we like to be approachable. And please feel free to, to reach out directly. You can reach me on LinkedIn or you can email me directly from the website. And I respond back to everybody who, to, uh, who reaches out. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks again for having us. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the $7 trillion ideas to save the world podcast. If you know someone who would love listening to this content, make sure to send it over to them so they too can learn about it. And together, let's change the world.